Do you want to bring balance to all the wireless radiation fields in your life, including 5G? The Omnia Radiation Balancer is a small sticker you can stick on any device. It changes the state of the field and creates a new resonance between the wireless radiation and your energy field. On the link below you'll see all our testing results that show how the body responds excellently once you've made this change in your life. And here's a special offer for the Journey to Truth crowd. Just enter the word TRUTH in caps at the checkout for your 10% discount. It's easy to bring balance back to your body with the Omnia Radiation Balancer. This is totally unreal that this happened like in 1942 on this planet. guys welcome back to journey to the truth podcast uh this is week two of uh secret space program month um we're joined by johan fritz if you guys don't know who he is you're gonna find out uh, he has an incredible testimony incredible memory recall uh it's like a talking textbook he's just full he's loaded with knowledge and information about what's going on right now what's going on in the programs in space uh underground it's it's quite fascinating uh, before we get into that, we're going to cover a few things. First of all, we understand that uh, you guys all understand that there's a huge big tech purge right now. Uh, Twitter is wiping people out, YouTube, all those alternative platforms. So we just want to remind you where you can find us all. We are, we still, as during this recording, we still have a Twitter account. Um, you can obviously find us here on YouTube. Um, what else? Bitshoot, Bradion, Rumble for the video. Uh, podcast, then we are on all audio iTunes, podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of others, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and like 15 others. I'm not exaggerating, it's uh, quite and a bit. We're on Facebook, Instagram, or not Instagram anymore, not Facebook, Instagram anymore. but and then we have personal accounts on uh, Instagram, Gab, Parlor, Parlor, Gab, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, just so you guys know, because people keep asking, where can we find you? So just get that out of the way, and then, um you guys just listen to the Omnia commercial 10% off with uh, promo code TRUTH, all caps. And then Hopewell Farms, we do have that promo code going again, JTT15 for 15% uh, off um, CBD oil and other products. Uh, stuff's very- It's the best CBD. It's it's really good. Aaron's been opinion. taking CBD for a while and uh, he says it's the best. So we're just it gonna is. go with his word. No, it really is good. <laughs> it's really great stuff. Um, and if you, and this, promo code does stack with uh, uh, free shipping for over $200 or more. So that does stack with that deal also, uh, just to let you know. And we have uh, t-shirts 20% off on our Teespring page with promo code uh, Sleepy Joe. And that's going to go indefinitely. That being said, uh, welcome to the show, Johan. How, how's it going over there? Thanks for joining us. Doing, doing very well. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to briefly read through your bio. Actually, you know what? I'll put the bio in the description and we'll let you just, we'll let you kind of give us a, a background of um, your, your testimony, what you've been sure. through and how this all started for you. Well, um, I'll start off with the succinct version, which is still kind of long, but I'll, I'll do that first and then we'll kind of go back and drill into the details. That's okay with you guys. Sure. And, and yeah. re really quick, guys, we understand that there is a little uh, audio issue. There's a, a, a hum or a buzz. Um, there's nothing we can do about it. So just bear with us, please. So for me, the way it started off was I was screaming as a kid um, because of my family background, because of my intuitive empathic abilities, because of my personality disposition and certain genetic markers. Uh, all those things make up what they call a metagene. And that metagene is what enables certain people in the programs to use certain technology. It also allows them to uh, enhance or be used in certain ways that other programs can't use you. Um, so as a kid, they already knew I had this. From age five up through age 12, I was being uh, constantly abducted, trained. Uh, I was being put through MKUltra, which you guys, or the, the follow-on MK Pegasus, which ended in 95, if you guys know what that is. Yes. Um, then, Age 12, that's when I actually started what I would call real super soldier training. Um, for Peter the Insider, uh, between age 12 and 14, apparently I still carry the record as having gone through all four layers of that fastest. So uh, for whatever that's worth. And at age 14, then they then started actually putting me what they called training missions, where they actually would have us uh, in simulated armor. We would go through and do simulated battles up through age 17, 18. And uh, a lot of this stuff as a kid for me was showing up as dreams. I didn't know how to quite process that. My mom just thought I had a super hyperactive imagination. Um, not the case. So <laughs> at age 17, I actually enlisted in what's called DEP, which is a delayed enlistment program for the U.S. military. And that's when all the abductions stopped for me was the minute I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And I actually went through what they called an early boot camp program at that point. They don't have that anymore, but they used to have to call an early boot camp program. I went through that, came back, went through my senior year. And then I finished up the, the last remaining part of my four years in as uh, after my uh, graduation from high school. Now, during that time, uh, when I was actually enlisted and overseas, uh, that's when all this stuff for the programs began for me. Uh, specifically, uh, the tracking that they have been doing since I was a kid, it followed me all the way through the military. And at that point, when I got to Diego Garcia, that's where I was taken off planet. I was put through what they called NDOC. Uh, a company called Shoreline runs the NDOC process on the moon. You're put through that. And then um, once you go through that NDOC process, they figure out where they're going to send you. Like, who, who are they sending you to to do actual work in the programs, right? My case, I was I qualified as a a, a grunt, a soldier. Imagine that, right? <laughs> and so, at that point, I was sent to a program called Kruger, where I worked. I uh, had two altars, actually, that I know of at least that were in Kruger. Um, and then one of those altars, the guy who I've using the moniker for here, the alias, that was my name in that particular program, which is John Fritz. That particular alias was transferred out at a certain point to what they call uh, JDFC's um, Joint Defense Forces Command. They have a subcommand called Mars Defense Forces. And 
I basically was transferred there. I went through their boot, their boot camp, their weapon program. We did some missions with them. While I was doing that stuff, I was being screened by another officer for Dark Fleet, what, court, what CG calls Dark Fleet, um, uh, Nakwaf and Rajir. And at that point, that's when I got brought into um, working off planet outside the solar system. And eventually, there was a decision that had to be made among all the Dark Fleet command people, staff, well, we decided, are we taking the black goo and are we putting up a slavery? And another group was already kind of being formulated off to the side, which is called the Alliance. And there's two segments to the Alliance. But one of these segments approached us and said, you know, we look, we know that you guys are talking about this idea of breaking away from Nakwa from Ajir. We could use people with your background, your intelligence background, your weapons, your ships, all that stuff, we could use that in our group if you guys are willing to help join us to help protect Terra and protect our colonies. And at that point, um, the, the guy that we call the old man, he called all of his senior staff, like me, I was aide de comp at this point. Re really quick, when you say old man, is that who Corey refers to as Sigmund? Is, it the, is this the same guy? So uh, the originator of Sigmund is, Sigmund is a clone. Okay. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. And we're going to get to that in a little bit when we start talking about some of these other programs, okay? Sure. But Sigmund was a clone that they use for security purposes. So people like the old man would upload Sigmund with a certain level of information and then have him go deliver it. Ah, uh, okay. That, that way, now, if somebody took him out, it doesn't take out the old man. And by the way, he knows when he dies because when he reholms, he has all that knowledge still here. Yeah, so there's a lot that people, there's a lot you're skimming through that people don't understand. So when you get through it, I'd like to go back and break down, like, um, as far as Diego Garcia, Kruger, um, even whenever you refer to Terrans or Terra, like, that, people don't know that that's what they refer to, that's what they refer as, refer people to off, as Earth. Yeah, people yeah. off the world call Earth Terra. Te exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we'll get into, and we'll get into that, um, but, yeah, continue. Can I give a real quick shout out, by the way, while we're going through yeah. all this? Yeah. Um, I have four, four groups of people, actually five groups, but I'm going to go through them real quick here. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to James Rink, Super Soldier Talk. Mm -hmm. Awesome videos, just as a, as a shameless plug. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the SSP 101 video, please go watch it. It gives it's a amazing overview of what we're talking about. We've both actually, seen it. Yeah, we're putting together the 102 or the, 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 the part two, or whatever James is going to call it. We're doing that right now. So you guys will see a follow-on that has all the tech, the ship stuff, the weapons, the vehicles, the armor. I cannot all. wait. That's, that's, that's for, out. For, for those who aren't, for, for those who don't know, that first one is what, four hours long, if I'm not mistaken? It's a four-hour yes. long video of basically the history of the SSP uh, with him and James Rink, who we will have on at the end of the month. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. You know, James is a good friend of mine. He's awesome. Uh, we did a we, we tried to put everything in there that we could think of. Now, James and I have a bit of a, a disagreement on like timeline and place, but the overall gist of what you're seeing in that in that outline in one 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 video is very very succinct and pretty accurate. So, if you haven't watched it, please do. There will be like a one, part two or a one two video coming out, so don't be surprised when that jumps. The second person i'd like to give a shout out to or the channel is uh, jessica morocco's channel her and peter the insider hello guys thank you guys for having me on and peter you're awesome as always third channel i'd like to give a shout out to is guided with jody renoza or jody's gems uh, i'll be doing a video with her on the 23rd so if you guys again want to hear some more like uh, more of the spiritual side how do we get healed part 
I'll be talking about that on there. Interesting. And uh, as you guys have seen on Quantum Red Pill Cafe with Ted and I, I'll give a shout to Ted. Um, on, on that video, we've also done the same thing. We've been trying to address, <laughs> pardon me, we've been trying to address some of these issues around how do we go from having been in a fractured state to now in a healed state. And as we're talking about some of the subjects around the SSP, this subject keeps coming up. So Ted and I keep addressing it because people want to know. They, they're like, well, how do I get myself into a better, healthier spiritual state in a better, healthier emotional, mental state, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. that's, that's obviously a concern for those of us that have been in. It's, it's something that we all have to do, but more specifically, people have been in the programs have to do that. So thank you for letting me do that. And uh, there you go. Yeah. No, that's cool that you're doing that, actually, because that's that's actually the most important thing, because what good are we if we're not healed? Correct. So that's uh, thank you. I'm I'm actually really looking forward to hearing that. And uh, maybe we could touch on some of that later in this interview also. But um, I don't know where, exactly where you were in your testimony. It's up to you. You can keep going or you can we can go back and start breaking it down. So here's here's what I'll, I'll start breaking down the timeline so people can get kind of an idea uh, of where things kind of happened. Right. Yeah, please. So I was born in 72, which should tell you about how old I am, ironically. Uh, by 77, age five, that's when I was in kindergarten and I was also brought into MKUltra. Now, the way that looks for people is essentially when I went in as a Gen 5, Gen 6 super soldier, what that, what that looks like to people is that I went through what they call the trauma side of training. Now, how do they do that, right? Well, for example, um, like at age five, they started me off, and I think I've talked about this previously, where they'd have us in simulations. They'd put us in a simulation where you're in a cage. This guy with this big wife beater comes in. You have to actually kill him. That's yeah. the only way to the confrontation is to kill the guy. Step two is once you've killed him the first time, they put this little girl behind you have to protect. Now, what I found out post this is the girl who was behind me was the girl who ended up being my XO on board the Franklin. Right. We actually served together in Kruger, which I didn't know either, but we were talking about it. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, it's like all these little synchronicities. Like she knew the other half, of the same story that I already knew. Wow. Wow. And what we call that is called, we, we have like what's called divine partner or divine uh, pairing between two people. That's what that, how that shows up is they look for people like that. Someone who you are in fact, divinely connected with spiritually connected with that. This person can anticipate your behavior what you're going to say, what you're going to do, and how you're going to act. That way it cuts down reaction time. And this, this, this lady ended up, she was that young girl in that cage with me. And um, the next step was me and her teaming up to beat up the, the, the man, the killed guy, you know? Mm. So at age eight, at that point, I would have been probably 1980-ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where things. That's where the, the what, there's a phrase that Eminem uses in the in the movie Eight Mile when he's doing his song, where he says, "This is when the mood all changed." It's like having two dogs in a, in a cage. That's that was me at age eight, because at that point the simulations from having this whole simulation side to, to now actually physically doing something. They actually abducted me and pulled me in to physically actually do a behavior or an act. So in, in, in this, excuse me for uh, any, um, just, just to help people understand in this simulation, uh, is this like a hologram? Like you're a guy that comes in, it looks, does it look real or does he see through? Is he transparent? No, it's real. 
Oh, it looks it, it looks like it is a real scenario. I didn't even know it was a hologram or a simulation until the very first time I was brought into the actual act at age eight. Okay. That's what one of the guards told me. He said, well, you've graduated all your simulations. Now you can do the real thing. And then I'm they like, put you in a real life or death scenario at that point. Well, um, the, very, the very first real life and death scenario for me was uh, the one that I've chatted about where they bring me into a room. I've got a guard on either side of me. I'm age eight at this point. In front of me is a 55-gallon fish tank on a table. In front of the table is a gun. To my right corner, I see this, someone sitting with a hood on their head. And the, there's a gentleman sitting back in the shadows. All I can see is his hands, his, his wrists, and the front part of his feet. And by the way, for those people who don't know, uh, go look up Dr. West. He's a guy who ran uh, MK Ultra for a number of years. He also ran MK Pegasus for a number of years. I believe that guy was him. Oh. And uh, based on the ring he had on his hand and based on the way he looked in that memory, from what I've seen of him during his interviews, and, and get this too, right? So this same guy testified at the Patty Hearst trial, which should tell you that Patty Hearst was probably programmed. And also, too, he testified at the Oklahoma City bombing. I should tell you those two individuals, meaning Timothy McVeigh and his partner, were both probably programmed. So all this crap that people are talking about where they don't, where they're saying, well, the, the government wouldn't do that. Well, yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Not only do they do it, that's how they operate. Yes. Yeah. So um, that at age eight, I basically was in this room and the first 52 times I would not kill the person in the hood. Now, how does that look? Well, either I'm being drowned, electrocuted, meaning the strap, electrical straps to your gonads and, and electrocute you, you die. Um, they could beat the crap out of you, stab you, whatever. Maybe they use the gun on you, right? But this first 52 times I died. At the 53rd time, something changed for me because when they brought me in, I basically had this thought in my head. It's like, like, I'm not doing that again. And when they brought me in the room, by the time he got out, what do you need? He'd normally say, what do you need to do? But when he said, what do you need? I had already grabbed the gun, shot the person in the hood. And I was actually pulling the upper receiver back to see if there's another chain, another round inside the magazine. And the gentleman sitting in the chair looked at me and said, why are you checking the magazine for six? If I, there's a second bullet, I'm shooting you. Yeah. At that point, he said, he said, congratulations, number three, you passed. Now, what I mean by that is, is that everyone who's in the programs, when you're going through in culture, you're numbered. Every group, meaning every pod, you have 20 people in a pod and they're all numbered. So you have one through 20. And my, I was number three. And he told me that number one, th number two had already been killed. They, they were not coming back to the program, so they couldn't pass. So whenever you say you were killed and you come back, uh, people need to understand that. So do, do they... Is this a regen tank technology? They bring you back. They have, or is this a, or, or are they just, is that a clone of you that's being killed? And there's original. No. Okay. Explain. This is actually, re, this is actually regen or, or hollow med bed technology. The reason why they do that, the reason why they leave the memory of you dying is so that when you become an adult, you no longer fear death. Mm. You have zero fear of death. So when Except you're out in the, so when you're out on the battlefield, you do anything without thinking of the consequences. Yeah. Correct. And more importantly, also what that does is it also, in my case, and, and my girlfriend and I have chatted about this, in my case, the other thing that did was it also changed my fight or flight reflex. 
meaning that my, I don't have any flight reflex. Mine's all fight. So when it, when it comes to someone like jumping in my crap and all of a sudden there's like, well, we're going to do this or this to you. It's like my brain goes, okay, it's time for you to die. That's the way my brain computes the math. It's like, it's like I'm already a fourth three black belt in a prior combat Marine. You really want to do this? Yeah. Yeah. You're excluding all the super soldier crap. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's where for me, my brain is already wired differently than most people in that respect. But what happened, that started the process where the real stuff started. And they would go through multiple iterations of this until they actually had your brain broken, usually for about a four-year period. Every night I had abductions. Every night I would go through this. Every night I would you know, have these you know, iterations. At age 12, that changed again. At that point, they brought me to this place up at the LOC where essentially I was put through what's called super soldier training. It was the very first time. I was put into a room with a bunch of kids. If you guys ever watched the movie Soldier, um, uh, Universal Soldier? No, Soldier. It has um, uh, the lady who's married to Rock Hudson, her husband. Um, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that movie. Kate Hudson's dad. He's okay. a well, very, he's a very well known actor. Um, uh, well, stepdad, I guess. Um, Anyhow, that movie, you go look up Soldier, essentially the way you see the kids being brought up in those groups, military-wise, that is exactly what, what the beginning of MKUltra looks like when you're actually in the super soldier part, except they're teaching you how to function as a unit. Like, you'll do, go through tests where you're, not, you're expected to not talk at all. Because what they're looking for is, psychically, they want to make sure all these people are bonded, Right. The second thing that happens is they're looking for natural born leaders. Who gives the orders? Well, it was me and another guy, and we were the ones constantly giving the orders. So they broke us up into groups, and we were allowed to run our units as kids. And that's where they start picking out these, these people with natural leading abilities. You know. So did you get your memory back immediately, or, or, or what, how did that process occur? Um, so for me, it came in steps, right? The first step was I got out of the military. Uh, I basically was a functioning alcoholic and I had a lot of issues around uh, PTSD, stress, anger. Most of it was redirected anger. I would have to say in hindsight. And a lot of it came from the fact that I didn't realize what had been done to me. Mm -hmm. And when I finally made that connection, I was working with this lady, Connie, that I talk about. Uh, when I finally, when she helped me make that connection, all of a sudden, the whole dynamic inside here changed. Mm. We started doing the, all the, the, the post-hypnotic regression stuff. And the second half of the session would be like her doing like massage work, Reiki work, energy work, you know, maybe even actual therapy, you know, like sitting and talking about well, how do you, how'd that, how that feel to you? Where are your emotions at? Let's talk about processing that. Right. Yeah. So she was, she was a, a, a licensed therapist, a board certified therapist and counselor. And, but she was more like metaphysically minded and she was the person that kind of helped me navigate through working all through all that stress. And what happened was, is she popped a lot of the memory caps. Now, I would have to say this at that time, my brain was not ready yet to release that information. So from 96 to 2012, I was going through this steady process of my brain, my subconscious saying, I'm ready to release this now. Right. 2012, I had an NDE. All of a sudden, any chemical blank slating any psychic 
memory barriers, any of that stuff popped during that NDE. I come back, and by the way, I'm not saying go have an NDE. I have to be clear about this because <laughs> through some of my discussions, some people have gotten the impression that that's okay to go do. No, it's not. Don't do right. it. And some people who don't know what that is because maybe they don't NDE near death experience. Just Correct, yeah. to clarify, yeah. So in, in my case, I had that happen. And then when that happened, all of a sudden, uh, I went through this massive change internally. Uh, I had met this woman who uh, I'd been married to. And um, through that process, uh, I, I basically had a bunch of these memories starting to crop up. And what I started doing was I took all these old documents that Connie had given me I had already uh, scanned them into Word docs, basically. And I started formulating the flow of how all this stuff kind of fit together. So I was listening to other people who had been through this, and I was trying to reformulate what happened to me. Like, wh where does that fit structure-wise into what happened to me, right? Mm -hmm. So over the years, I've been writing all of that stuff down. Okay. And what had happened was, is after I started writing all this stuff down, I started trying to figure out where it fit, where these memories fit into the timeline. And that's that timeline we were just talking about, right? So yeah. when I got taken up there, uh, this is after the super soldier training, right? So I, I, I go through that 14, join the military, all of a sudden the deduction stopped. And I'm like, whoa, this is kind of weird. But basically for a year, I didn't have any abductions. And I thought that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Even though it was my senior year in high school, it was like the most peaceful time I had. I already knew I had a job post post high school and I, and I didn't feel like I had the abductions going. So I could actually sleep at night. I didn't have like all the stress and all that crap going on. Sure. Yeah. So I get in the military and all of a sudden I see that same folder that showed it from grade school where I had my name, my data, all the information about me, all my intuitive testing that happened at grade school, by the way, they do this, by the way, a doctor would come to our school and I was like a disciplinary problem so like every time i got sent to the principal's office he'd be like he'd do like the typical like psychologist voice right he'd be like well let's sit down let's talk <laughs> that's a good impression <laughs> i need you to breathe with me will can you breathe with me he'd do that kind of voice and you're, you're kind of going oh okay and then he'd, he'd pull this deck of cards out and he'd say well what's on the card how does this feel to you what symbol is this? It was a Zener deck, by the way, for those people who don't yep. know what a Zener uh, deck is. And uh, I would guess it. I had no idea. He never tell me if I was right or not, by the way. But I, I would guess the stuff. And when I got in the military, I see we're doing our psyche vows. And here I am as a squad leader, and I've got this other squad ahead of me going through doing their stuff. I'm hearing all the answers that he's talking about. So I'm like, okay, well, I know what I'm going to say when I go in. I literally walk in the door. Report in is ordered, sit down. He, get, he, he looks at my name, he pulls his head back a little bit. He gets up, he walks over, he shuts the door, which has been open the whole time, mind you. And then he pulls out the official Marine Corps crap and goes, okay, we're just going to pencil with this. That's done. He goes, okay. He goes, now let's get to the real crap. And he pulls that stupid binder out. I'm like, oh, God damn it. The binder <laughs> from when you were a kid. Yes. Oh. And I'm looking at that thing going, oh, man, he's going to open that binder and I'm going to kick me straight out of boot camp. I thought I was done. Yeah. And he opens it up. I see in there, there's like stuff listed in there. It says on the, on the, on the intuitive empathic test part, it's like an 85% accuracy rating from, from kindergarten up to 11th grade. Right. That's really good. On, on the 
on the personality disposition part, that's the part I found problematic because it had stuff like uh, this individual does not respect authority. This individual is highly aggressive. This individual uses uh, violence as a tool. I mean, like st- shit like this is showing up on the list. And I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, uh, right. So it's yeah. like, it's like all this stuff showing up. I'm just like, oh Jesus, this is not good. And he looked at it. He's like, he's like, he's like, do you want to serve your planet, your country, and your fellow countrymen and protect them with the best of your abilities? Yes or no? I looked at him like, I thought that's what I was doing, sir. He's like, he's like, you don't understand recruit. He asked me that three times. By the third time, I finally said yes. He's like, when you get to your AIT screening, when they actually screen you again for your AIT testing, he goes, you need to give the captain who you talk to this word. And he will give you a word if you give him this word. That's how they actually track people who are starting to enter the programs is through these keywords. Different programs, different access to these, these programs are tracked by keywords. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they would have to have some type of system in place. Yeah. Well, it's called challenge and response system. So when you when you come into a, an area and they, they give you that keyword, what they do is they look at their list and they give you the response to that list, which is them upgrading you or giving you the new keyword or challenging that keyword, right? Point is, is that that happened with me through the military and happened twice. And the third time was when I went to the moon. So I get deployed to my unit in Okinawa after going through AIT, jump school, all that stuff. I get to Okinawa and we get deployed. And uh, when we got to Diego Garcia, that's where I got taken off planet. We were actually on a refuel. We actually flown from Okinawa, Japan to Diego Garcia and we landed there to do a refuel. And what they were, what they were going to do is fly helicopters from Diego Garcia or the airplane from Diego Garcia to either Yemen or UAE. And then we take helicopters back down to the Kitty Hawk, CH-53Ds. And that was the plan, anyhow. Now, so all your training you were just telling us about, that all happened on Earth. All right. the MK Ultra, all the, the training. Okay, so then Diego Garcia is an island in the Indian Ocean, for those who don't know. The actual super soldier training happened up there. Okay. But all, all everything excluding that happened down here. Okay. Just so we're clear. And then Diego Garcia, is that just, that just a military base on an island in the Indian Ocean? Yeah. It's, it's actually in the Indian Ocean. Um, let me see if I got a picture of it here somewhere. Yeah, let me um, allow you to screen share here if I can. Yeah, um, How do I, I was pretty it? sure I do. Multiple participants can share. I'll do it this way. Okay. I'll look it up on Google. <laughs> yeah, Google. Yeah, if you have anything you want to share to back up um, anything you're saying, because I know you do have some uh, really awesome photos and documents and stuff. Uh, okay. So, okay, go ahead. So let's go to maps. Actually, this could be easier to do this. Okay. All right. We'll bring this up on the share screen. That way people can actually see it. Okay. So you guys can see this now, right? Yeah. 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 Thank you. That's awesome. So this is where um, I would say the majority of people that go out as foot soldiers especially for special ops or your Marines or your Navy, you're probably getting flown out of Digger Garcia off planet. This is also the number one place where uh, the merchant Marine fleet, when they do exchanges for slaves to, to whatever they're doing it here as well. And the point that we were at was there called point Marianne. 
which is the southern end of the airport at Diego Garcia. So if you look in here, there's this long two and a half mile long runway, right? Mm -hmm. Point Marianne is the very southern, I guess, southeastern end of that runway. And that's where, that's where uh, I had to walk to from the other end of the runway. We landed, we had to walk from this northwestern tip all the way down to the base down here. There's some empty buildings down at that southern, southeastern end. Point is that um, as we did that, right, mm -hmm. uh, we end up and we get down there and that's where uh, we went through what they called phase three of screening, which basically involves they bring it people in from upstairs from the moon, they come in, they essentially do what they call a temporal, a temporal synaptic and physical scan of the body, including DNA. They do that. So if anything happens to you, they have a record of how to rebuild you. Basically that makes Perfect. sense. It's like a blueprint. Yeah. Yes. And also, by the way, that blueprint is used when you go through what they call blank slating and they use that, that, that uh, retrovirus to actually rewrite parts of who you are, um, that is actually what is being done. That retrovirus is being programmed biologically like a CRISPR bug to re-edit parts of you to get you back to where you were at age 21. So that's how the age regression technology works? It's part of it. They also use chemicals that, um, it's the same chemicals they're currently using today for like diabetes medication. They also inject that into your system. And what that does is it reduces the inflammation. It reduces uh, the, the cellular degradation. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And what it does is it basically makes you basically de-age by 10 to 20 years at a whack. But the, mm -hmm. the virus is rewriting the internal stuff. So that's usually the two-step. Anyhow, the, the point is, is that they're doing all this, the, the baseline, um, the 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 uh, baseline material to get you back to that point before they even take you off planet. They're also doing a timeline snap, meaning they're looking at where are you at in Earth's current timeline. If they have to do a looking glass reinsertion to dump you back here, right? Yeah. They, they want to know the time, the place, location, the timeline, and also too, what condition are you in in that timeline? When you... Uh, I remember on one of your interviews, you were talking about looking glass and you shared some photos, some um, yep. drawings of uh, it was like the actual technology itself and the floor in Area 51 called Alice's Lair or Alice's Floor. Yeah, it's just right here. Um, yeah, if you don't mind, because that is absolutely uh, I don't know where that stuff comes from, but if it's accurate, that's that's good to have. That's good. to know. Um, there's actually a guy named Adrian Bassaggio who actually released this out to people. Um, he actually put this data out there for folks to look at to show that it was real. And um, I actually got a copy of it after looking at one of his uh, presentations. Um, now, this is the interesting part, right? So I want everyone to think about the number of TV, movie, video references that use the white rabbit down here. In the bottom left-hand corner, and the fact yeah. that they call that Alice's floor, and um, that that aligns with um, some Q drops also in Project Looking Glass. Correct. Yeah, and the the white rabbit is essentially the idea of literally going down through the temporal wormhole, going from timeline A, place A, to timeline A, place B, somewhere either forward or back in the timeline. Right. Yeah. 
So, so yes, this technology does have its um, pluses and minuses. We actually have a group that works underneath the ICC Superboard. All they do is temporal operations. I've talked about that quite a bit with the you know the change in certain presidents, the change in certain you know scenarios, uh, temporal timelines being rewritten or flipped or recombined, as or or as they call it, you know recombinated. Um, so yeah, that stuff happens. And that's why. Um, the bottom line is, all these checks were done. They hit us with the drug. They knocked us out as we were taking our clothes off. They wanted no Terran clothing, no Terran marking on us, including dog tags, by the way, when we went up to the LOC. The next thing I remember was waking up inside of the dart, me and two other gentlemen. It's a dart. I was just going to ask you, what craft did you take to the LOC? It was a dart, and um, the two gentlemen who had knocked us out actually were the two guys piloting the craft. And basically for me, what happened was I woke up inside the dart and I looked to my right and down where the handle would be on the door, there's like this embossed area that basically said built by Lockheed Martin and it had their little emblem on it right in that area of the door. So I know who built the craft. Of course, we know Lockheed and Boeing. I mean, they've, mm -hmm. they've been. Well, and I, I worked for Northrop Grumman underneath okay. of some of Lockheed's programs un unknowingly. After yeah. this. Really? Well, that's yeah. where that's where these black budget programs spawn from. That's where this technology is created. And uh there's think tanks. I mean, that's what William Tompkins talks about being sitting in on those think tanks. That's where a lot of these designs came from. So at that point, uh as I'm waking as I'm sort of awake, I'm kind of groggy. I hear these two pilots talking about this idea of what they call Jericho, which is a city on the moon. That's what actually what it means in Arabic. And uh, when, I, when I heard that phrase, the ship was turning this way, and you could see the, um, the broken off Pyramidian and the, um, the upper area of the LOC on the moon inside this crater, the Julesburn crater. And they were diving at this, what looked to me like another crater inside there. I thought we were going hit, to hit the surface. We, we went right through it. And it's a hologram. I, yeah, I blacked out again. And by the time I woke back up, that was when the door was opening up and we were being drugged out of this dark craft by these guys in black camis. And they bring us into this area that uh, Shoreline uses for reception. And they basically handcuff you to the seat and they also ankle cuff you to the seat so you can't move or run. And uh, I don't know how long I was there, but I remember this guy sitting next to me basically said, you know, don't look around, they'll see you. If you, if you wake up, they will know you're awake. You see this guy right here, he's already dead. And when I kind of moved my head up a little bit, this guy had his head all the way back and he was ashen gray and he was dead. Wow. And they were giving us a drug injection when we were in the chair, which I'm guessing was done to uh, basically magnify or ampl amplify our psychic abilities. Some people don't have the ability to handle that injection very well or they negatively react to it. Same way we do with uh, viral stuff today here on Earth. Sure. Sometimes, sometimes people's bodies just doesn't agree with the shot, right? Yeah. At that point, I'm screened again. And uh, after going through that screening process, I'm essentially put through what they call indoc, which basically means indoctrination. They put you through an MKUltra upgrade. They give you a whole bunch of packages based on the, the programs you're going to be in. Uh, they call up certain altars. They program those altars up. Now, explain what an altar is. Sleep. Explain what an altar is, please, for people who don't know. 
Okay, so the easiest way for me to explain this without getting into a whole bunch of psychological techno babble is to say that when you go through trauma, a part of you disassociates from the current cognitive mind. Part of your subconscious will disassociate away from that to protect the mind. And that part that disassociates is the alter ego, the alter. Mm -hmm. And what they do in the program is they take that disassociative part, they crack it open, they dump all the memories, the trauma, the pain, all the programming, all the language upgrades, every, every skill set you would need is dumped into that altar at that time. Every 72 hours after an upgrade, you're tested. So, for example, you might walk into a room and it, they'll say, they'll start immediately speaking to you in German. And they expect you to recall and talk in fluent German as if it's a normal thing to do once that altar is activated, which is usually activated through either a set of keywords or a set of key alphanumerics usually. And as you're talking to these guys, they may have you do like martial arts. Show me, show me this particular martial arts style. You do it. You do a full kata on what that is. Show me how to use this weapon. And they have like weapons laying in front of you on the table. You have to pick the right weapon. You have to be able to, to basically chamber around, fire the weapon at the target, pull the magazine out and put it back on the table as if it's autonomic reflex. So it's like the matrix basically in a way. Um, the matrix does not do it justice in my opinion, because it's not like, in, in my opinion, Neo is still bound by his own brain. Okay. Whereas it, this, with this, there is no bounds. It's like, it's like essentially in the altar, there's nothing up here limiting you on what you can do. There is no limits. There are no morals. There are no laws. There are no black and white. It is just do or, or not do. So Neo's character was just to make it digestible for the audience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, continue. This is fascinating. Yeah. So once I went through all that stuff, at some point, one of the guards came in and we were doing, I was doing, I didn't realize it was my final testing in, in, in doc. He comes in, he's, he's like, you've already been requested to go to your next assignment. So what I didn't realize at that time until later, when Peter and I were chatting about it, was that Gabriel Kruger had actually requested me to come directly to Kruger because of my test scores. Because he was screening everyone that went through my particular NDOC program. Like, where are these people at on their scores? Like, what are, the, what are their aptitude tests? What are their IE tests? What are their weapon tests? You know, martial art tests, all this stuff. What is this person? What can they do? Right? Yeah. Apparently, the minute he saw my test scores, he's like, I want that guy and I want him here now. So, I get jerked out of training. And I, I'm thinking I'm getting blank slated, by the way, at this point. I didn't realize I'm being sent somewhere else. I, I thought I was getting blank slated, but all of a sudden the guy brings me to a separate room. He says, take off all your clothes. We're going to give you a new set of clothing to walk to the base. That way people don't know who you are, or where you are. Change my clothes. We're walking on the first level, by the way, of the LSC. There's a landing area out here. Shoreline's the back area of that landing area. That's where we do all their in-docks on the same floor. That way, if you, if you somehow don't make it through in-dock, they can immediately take you back to the earth and blank slate you. If that makes sense to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And blank slating, I remember you said one time, like th three to five percent of blank slating of people, it doesn't work on three to five percent of people, and you're one of them. And I guess all the whistleblowers are. Yeah, just to a certain degree, yes. Yeah, okay. Now, what point does this code word come in that they gave you? That was during indoc, right when I first came, when I first woke up, actually. Uh, they basically saw me looking around. These guards yell, we have a live one. They run over to where I am, 
They un uncuffed me. My legs are actually asleep. I can't feel my legs at this point. They drag me into this room. They're kind of laughing at me because I can't walk. And they slam me down this metal chair and uh, they recuffed me again, hand wise and ankle wise. I felt like I was in there for like, I don't know how many hours, but this guy in a, in a white, uh, it looked like a white scientist coat. I jokingly call these guys eggheads. They, they kind of walk in and the guy's like, you know, okay, we're going to do the test. And he had like a little pocket protector for pins and all this stuff in it. And he comes in, he's like, he's like, okay, we're going to do this test. He goes, what is it that I need to know? And the first two times I'm like, what, is, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And all of a sudden the third time, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Keyword, right? Keyword the captain gave me. I gave the guy the keyword. And I see him, he pulls his glass pad out and he starts scrolling down through it. He's like, whoa. It's like, okay. He clicks on that. He goes, okay, really? All right. And he, he clicks on some other stuff. There's a large glass double two-way mirror behind him. These people are watching me and him interact. And all of a sudden, I hear the scientist say to me, I can hear him say it, but I also heard him say it. He said, he said is there anything else that I need to know right now? I said, there's a guy standing behind that piece of glass holding a woman in a way that he's going to actually physically injure her. And I said the guy's name because I was looking at him through the reflection in the glass. I could see his name tag in the reflection of the glass. And all of a sudden, he's, the, guy, the doctor went, what? And they hear this voice come on the loudspeaker. He's like, yep, he's one of us. Go send him through Indoc. Yeah. So they, they were already watching what we were doing. Yeah. And that's why I went through this whole in-doc process, right? Well, when I got my clothing changed, um, that's when this guard basically guided me down to they call 4-6, which okay, the upper floor where the landing area is looks like a 1950s military base. Mm -hmm. You get down to 4-6, it looks like a super upgraded, like a high-end mall. If that makes sense to anybody? Sure. It's like, it's like the walkway area is solid white tile, and on the sides, it's these red carpeting. And a lot of the main rooms is red carpeting too, right? Yeah. So here I am walking down this hall with this guy. As we step out of the elevator, turn to the right, and we're walking down this area, all the way, this office, all the way down the very end. And we stop at the front door. There's these two big posters on either side. One is a male in this black body armor, which I might have a picture of here somewhere. Um, let's see if I can find it real quick. Does the inside? I've heard Corey Corey Good talk about the insides of the LOC being like a bell shape. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. Uh, it's, well, I, I would say it's more spheroid bellish, but yes. Okay. Um, so on the poster, this is kind of what it looked like, the armor-wise. The artist who did this did a really, really good job. Um, but the, sure. idea, the idea is, is that this particular poster, they had two of them, one male, one female. And on the bottom of each poster, it said, when you need to tie up all loose ends and you want nothing left undone, call Kruger. And it's all in German, by the way. Right. Yeah. And Kruger is, uh, it's like an off the books military group uh, up in the SS in the programs. Yeah. And uh, another thing too, by the way, I'll show some people this as well. Um, this might actually help some folks if they want to figure out what's going on. So I'll share this as well really quick. This is the website that uh, Peter and Jessica are having us refer people to. This is the ACIO's website. It's ACIO-agency.org. It's like um, Alien Contact Intelligence Organization or something like that? Yep. 
And if you go over here to where it has, oh, it's at the top. It says, I didn't right see it. <laughs> I job reading. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even see it at the top. If you go down to where it says Worldwide Military Courts and click on that, you can see right here it actually has Kruger listed as one of the military courts. Now, again, I don't, I'm not advocating the timeline or the locations, but I would say in terms of who they are and what they do, this is very accurate. Did did you not say one time there's a video game called like Mirror's Edge or something that uses the Kruger logo? Yes, uh, yes actually, that's correct. Um, I might actually have some screen captures out of that, actually, if I think about it here. Um, let's see here. Guys, guys, uh, who, for the listeners out there, I know this is a lot of information to digest and uh, it's hard to get through it all and really... Uh, it's hard to get to get through it without being distracted because it's just, things need to be explained. So I, we apologize if we're all over the place here, but just bear with us. This is this is one of the many images we see Kruger put on the back wall inside of the Kruger Sec building. And this individual here, believe it or not, in real life, she is the the granddaughter of Gabriel Kruger, Faith Connors. Really? And this yeah. is from the video game, though. This is a screenshot. This is from, uh, yes, yeah, from Mirror's Edge Catalyst, the, the 2019 version, yes. And there's tons of this in there, by the way, tons of disclosure on stuff. So direct SSP disclosure down to that person. Yes. Yeah. Gabriel Kruger's in that game. Uh, Faith Connors is in that game, his granddaughter. Uh, there's a bunch of people in there. What's that one Call of Duty game that Kevin has Kevin Spacey in it? Um, I think oh, that yeah, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. like, where he yeah. like, yeah, that he's like a, and but then it's Call of Duty Cold War maybe. Is that the right be. one? But I mean, I'm sure you'll get to that later. But the guy that well, looks like Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey shares a special place. The, the clone of him has shared a special place in my heart. Not, and we'll get, <laughs> we'll get to that here in a second. Paul Serene, yeah, Paul yeah, yeah. Serene, yes, my 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 old buddy, yes. Um. <laughs> But the idea is, is that I get to Kruger, and when I walk in the door, there's a desk to the left, a reception desk. The lady sitting at that desk is Gabriel Kruger's daughter, Alexandria. And she stands up, and this guard the whole time in the elevator, he's like, you know, don't fuck this up for me. I got, I got the hots for this girl. She's really pretty. If you screw <laughs> this up, I will make sure you're blank slated, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's giving that whole speech, right? I'm kind of like, whatever, you know. and. We get in there and I see Alexandra stand up and he hands her my glass pad. And all of a sudden, as she's reading the glass pad, Gabriel Kruger walks out of his office and comes out front. And he's standing there looking right at me. And he, he walks over and looks at the glass pad that his daughter's looking at. And he makes a recommendation. He says, put him in the Guma's company and, and put, him in there with, put him in Peter's fire team. So what? Now it's I'm looking for that reference. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so people understand the, the the impact of that statement, right? So he walks back over to his office. This guy who I call Commander Naguma, which may be the wrong name, but in my head that's what I seem to remember. He comes out, and uh, I've actually met this guy in in the here and now. He does have memories of Faith because he because Naguma was dating Faith up there, and um. He's looking at my glass pad and he's like, holy shit, look at the scores this guy's got. And Alexander's like, yeah, dad says to put him in, in your company with Peter, right? The Peter he's talking about is Peter the Insider's fire team. Ah, uh, okay. 
Peter and I surfed together in Kruger for a while. Interesting. That's where, that's where the baseline information is. Like I, Peter and I, we know each other on that level. Like we serve together. Like I, I know his voice. I know how he's going to react. Psychically, I know how he thinks. That's what happens when you're in a fire team. You guys get kind of synced up. And when you're doing stuff, it's like you kind of enmeshed. You kind of know, you know, and you know exactly what that person's going to do. Sure, sure. So, and that's why Peter, the insider, has been such a crucial part of a lot of a lot of people coming forward. Um, yeah. And also, too, by the way, I'll say this: um, if you go back to that ACI website, so yeah, Peter's stuff is on there. I'll share this really quick that we guys can look at it while we're talking about it. Um, we actually put what we call it up here on the on the menu. We had ACI Associates, and Peter's bio is up here as well, by the way, and so is Jessica's. When you click mm -hmm. on that, it brings up James's bio, it brings up Anthony Zender, and it brings up mine. This guy, Michael, down here, he is the guy who was, in fact, uh, Commander Naguma, the guy I'm calling Commander Naguma. Oh, interesting. So, um, anyhow, the idea is, is that, so, Naguma takes me back, he brings me into what's called receiving, right? The first thing they do when you go into Kruger is they actually put you into a clone body. That's the very first thing they do right off the bat. They have you take off all your clothing. They put it on this little like cart that's like next to this little cryo unit. They bring it over to a tank where they you basically step inside this vertical tank. It fills up with this liquid auger mask on that has a display on the inside and display on the glass. And what's happening is as this tank fills, what they're doing is they're getting ready to transfer the essence, either the altar or what's in your brain, to the clone. Interesting. Now I looked over to my to my to my right in my case. The clone was in the tank, already filled up asleep. And it looked like me, but it was much larger and very physically edited. I'll put it that way. Okay. And I started to panic a little bit, and the doctor was looking at me, standing right in front of me. I can hear him talking to me through the through the, the earbuds in my mask. He says, Don't worry, everyone panics the first time. He's just relax and we'll get you taken care of. And he's speaking yes. in German. He's speaking in German, by the way. And I'm kind of like, listen, I'm hearing, I'm like, wow, I should understand this guy, what he's saying, it's weird. And all of a sudden, I start pumping this gas in, and I blacked out. And next thing I know, I'm waking up over in the other body. When you woke up in the other body, could you see your original body? Yeah, they, had, they were draining the tank. They pulled it out, put it inside a cryo unit, and slid it back inside this cryo storage area. where They had a bunch of people that were in cryo. And then that body is just kind of remained there for the duration of your time in the programs and they put you back in that body before you were spliced back. Kruger and Monarch are, the, are a few of the programs that use clone bodies. MDF and Nockwaffen do not. Okay. They do not use clones. But Kruger does. And uh, because what happens is with Kruger, since you're what they call a direct action team, what happens a lot of times is if you ever get shot, if you ever get wounded, if you ever die, there's two things they do. One, they always bring the body back. That way they can't recover the tech from the body because you're usually full of femtotech and other stuff that other companies want. And secondly, the, the part of you that's in the brain rehomes right back to the cryogenically stored body. So it's like having this weird kind of a, a weird save game. If you ever played video games and you have like a little save spot where you're like yeah. going in to do your boss fight and all of a sudden you, you wake up and you're back in your body and you're like, crap, you know? They put you back in the tank, new clone, they send you back down after, at the same boss again. 
it's almost like wow. that's where they got it the idea for respawning in a video game from the program yes it's but that's, but that's what happens in some cases it happened to me a few times and what ends up occurring is at a certain point you you figure out that you also have these mk ultra abilities that are there as well the super soldier abilities so working with some of the technology in there they have some of us work in the, in the labs this guy that we call Dr. N, um, essentially he was the guy that built all of the uh, implants and augments for people. He also gave the guidelines on cybernetics if they were to be used in Kruger. And a lot of times, like with me, he would have me test the, the uh, implants, the, the stuff they put on the outside of the skin that activated your, some of your super soldier abilities, right? You could sub immediately subconsciously tap into that part of the psyche that says, well, I'm going to manipulate time. I'm going to warp and manipulate time, space, matter to do such and such, right? So, a couple of us, level one super soldiers, what we call a runner, the equivalent of a runner and catalyst, right? Yeah. What we would do is like what I would do is Doctor M would give me a new a new implant, wherever it happened to be. He'd say, "Go, go test it." So what I would do is I'd get into some running gear. I would go up to level one, piss off the security guys and try to make it back down via the stairwells, back down to level six without getting caught. And I did it every single time. Really? I would literally, I would literally use the walls. Like, you know what parkour is? It's essentially yeah, what we yeah, were trying yeah, to yeah. do. They would upload parkour into our brains. Nice. And we would literally like use the walls. Like I would, I would manipulate an area on the wall. Peter said he had a video of this where they were, he watched me change the actual gravity of the wall so i could run up the wall and then shoot off the wall and land somewhere else and i change the gravity there so i could bounce and roll There's and so these, wow and these guards that changed right after i left it the guards couldn't do it and they were actually getting injured trying to jump or move or do whatever like i did we see disclosure of all of this in movies and video games uh even the born identity movies um yes. that i mean that's a super soldier disclosure Yes. Yeah. Um, Treadstone, Blackbear, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, the, even the assets and everybody that's hired um, in that movie, they're all super soldiers. I mean, they all doing parkour and their fighting abilities are just like elite. And hearing you talk, that's what I think of. It, it is the same thing. I, I look at that. And by the way, they're also both ran by the CIA. So just so clear. Yeah. Um, so... You know, the guy who was handing me off to the programs of the CIA attache that was attached to our unit, I believe he was there for a reason. Yeah. Um, he's also the same guy who later on got me in, in it, into some issues while I was actually deployed with Kruger. Uh, this guy that we used to call uh, the John, you know, John David Lynch. You probably heard about him in some of the, some of the uh, Call of Duty games. Oh, okay. Um, another guy by the name of Jason Adler that worked with him. It's also in Call of Duty. Those monikers are real names, but the thing with uh, John David Lynch, his actual name is, is uh, Burke, Martin Burke. And um, yeah, so there's a whole whole big story behind that that Peter and I have been kind of weeding out, trying to find the truth in the middle of all that. But the idea is, is that these, ad, these CIA people use human assets and trade human assets and move them into the program so that the programs can stay continually active. So then, I mean, there are multiple programs going on at one time, and you ended up in Kruger. Uh, yeah. 
which like I said earlier, that's like kind of an off the books program. I, I can you explain what what life was like in Kruger and what you guys did there? Um, so the, the phrase for Kruger is actually Kruger Mercenary Corps, KMC, is the, the joke that we kind of talk about um, within the group. And the, the Mercenary Corps, you're correct, it was an off-the-books Black Ops military budget program. Uh, we used Tier 3s to do inserts into our target locations, either on-planet or off-planet. Tier 3, a triangle craft? The Black Triangle? Okay. Or gray, some more gray. Uh, depending on the revision, like if you go A through C, I think they're black. As soon as you get to the D revision, it's more like a gunmetal gray color on. Interesting. But, but um, yeah, they are triangular craft and they vary in size. Some of them do. Uh, but, the, but the idea is, is that we use those craft to do insertions, exertion, insertions and extractions, meaning your infill, exfill portion of the mission. Um, so yeah, we did that. We did tons of training on that every day. You do like these little drills, you run on board the craft, you'd sit down in the seats. They would call, the, the drill that they would do was they would actually have a pilot actually activate the, the light tree that's right behind the officer. So at red, you're in your seat. At orange, you're actually standing up and you're getting ready to actually step on these yellow footprints. When the yellow comes on, you step on the yellow footprints and pull these two cords down, locks into your armor, the DLI, the dual line insert system. At green, the, the bottom of the ship actually opens up and they drop you out. Wow. All that takes about a minute. And then it has become autonomic, basically, is what you're trying to do. So that was the training. Did that ever, did you ever do that? Did did that? Did you ever actually do that in real missions? Or? We we did it for every mission we did. Okay, minus two that I think that I know of. And those were both off planet. They were actually else, elsewhere. So they were. These are missions on Earth. You're talking about. Yes. So, what kind of missions were you actually doing here on Earth then? Uh, well, we had a variety of missions. One, you have to understand that most of what Kruger did, in terms of mission parameters, was. All it was all uh, ICC super board, super board certified and okayed, meaning the triumvirate basically came in and said, "We need you to do mission X, or assist assist with mission X." So what they would typically do is they'd have Earth Defense Forces dealing with part of it. They would call in Kruger to deal with the part they didn't want to get screwed up. <laughs> so so they, there may be you know ETs on the planet. But they'd have us come retrieve the tech or us deal with the big baddies that the, the normal EDF guys could not deal with. Because we had amped up bodies, we had you know, super soldier abilities, all kinds of stuff. So Yeah, mm. I, I think I remember you telling the story one time that um, like they almost were using a kind of a looking glass technology or something. They would actually see the mission before it happened so that you would know exactly what you needed for that mission. And, yes. and if somebody was going to get hurt, you knew what type of medical gear to bring. Yeah. The, That's fascinating. They have, to me. they have folks that do that. They can dip into the, the highest probable timeline, right? Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean it's always going to happen that way. The, the mission that retired me out of Kruger actually did not happen the way the looking glass technology said it would. Really? It tells you is that the individual who in the CIA basically screwed us over, he actually made a decision during that mission live that caused me and peter and other people to get either hurt retired or dead really yep 
but prior to that, it was always just wham, bam. You knew exactly what you're doing in and out, um, effortless kind of. I would say the three big tags that would always show up in our missions. And we did like 60 plus missions with Kruger, okay? So the three big tags always showed up. The first one is Mobius tech, which essentially is timeline co-creative manipulation tech that was developed prior to us here. And Mobius hijacked it, started using it, and we started recovering it to shut it down. Isn't that the like the soul trap technology? Um, that, is that not Mobius or not? It fits the same profile, yes. I, I would have to say, in my opinion, yes, it is the same technology. But the idea of a soul trap, it, it's not the really correct term. It's not, that's actually an uh, uh, incorrect moniker for okay. what that technology really does. Um, but the idea is, is that you have to understand that we're living in a, a, pocket, a created pocket universe because Mobius had screwed up the previous attempts to try to manipulate our universe. So do that for, do that for a minute. All right. That'll, <laughs> do that'll any warp, of this for a minute. Shit. That, that, that'll warp some yeah. people's noodles. Right. Um, yeah. But the idea is, is that that technology is, it is, it can be unstable, but, but ETs typically have been using it because of that instability. They know it has an area of effect. So for example, this is what I'll talk about for just a second here. Um, think about the unrest that's been going on in the middle, middle East for the number of years it's been there. Right. Yeah. And the idea is that these ET groups and Mobius have been plopping Mobius tech right in these hot spots, and the area of effect is affecting everybody around it. This is why you see these wars start cropping up in certain areas, or the Arab Spring, or all of these um, Muslim insurgencies and riots in Europe, for example, or what happened in Russia with, with Chechnya and all these, uh, you know, the issues they had there. You know, all well, that crap. Like a, is it like a group think? It makes everybody kind of puts everybody on the same page. Sort of, yeah. What it does is, is the, the unit basically has these two large twisted crystals inside of the power source that manipulates the time, space, matter around us, right? Mm -hmm. The actual processing unit has four buttons on it. And that tells them to what degree they're going to manipulate that co-creative ability we have. And what it does is it actually continually suggests to the people in that area of effect that maybe you should do this is continually trying to implant that thought into the thought streams, right? And it's that like thought, a subliminal message kind of, yeah. Yeah, but it's happening on, on a brainwave frequency. So you have this information constantly being dumped, right? Constantly reinforced, constantly dumped. And all of a sudden, people start having this thought of, well, maybe I should go do that. And all of a sudden, now they're being controlled by that tech, right? Mm. Wow. It's one, it's one of the things that super soldiers are actually immune to is, is Mobius tech. Because we're not, we're, we, we're, we've already got our brain hemi-synced. Outside influences don't affect us that way anymore. So where do you, you said the Middle East, this technology is located. I mean, this, I, I can it's see all this. All over the world. All over the world, yeah. It's all over the world, but that's one of the areas that, that specifically that we kept going back to a lot there in Europe. I feel like this would be used in like major cities and stuff um, to, to, you can keep people asleep that way, right? Yes, absolutely, like, yeah. You can put, um, low vibe uh, thoughts into their head and, and like very primitive um, uh, desires and cravings and you know stuff like that. Yeah. If you have an area where let's say that you're trying to make sure that people do not revolt, you could program the tech and turn it on and actually put it on what they call aggressive mode, which is the top mode. And that's exactly what you're talking about with people going to sleep. They just 
people will not, they, they will not rebel. They're like, oh, I don't want any part of that. Don't want to, I don't want to mess with El Jefe. You know, I don't want to mess with, you know, Lapicia, you know, mm-hmm. sorry. You know, they, they won't do it. And because it's because they, they're afraid and they, they basically, the co-creative part of their brain is basically telling them that I do not want any part of any sort of insurrection or rebellion or revolution. Is this what happened in uh, Phoenix, the Phoenix Lights, why nobody uh, remembers that? Like it just kind of came and went. Do, can they do that to make people forget this UFO sighting? They can. And they also have they call it these gases that the Draco use in their craft. They can also, I think William Tompkins even talked about this. Mm-hmm. William Tompkins yeah, he actually has this. an actual photograph of mm-hmm. the reptilian tanker yeah. emitting so, this gas. Yeah. So you have this gas that can put over large population areas, right? Mm-hmm. It does that too but a, a more direct interaction layer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's multiple ways they can do this. And they usually use the tech and the gas in areas with high uh, population centers. Uh, contrails is another way to tell if you're in a high population center, by the way. If you do not have contrails above where you live, they're, they're probably not using Mobius tech where the gas is there. Oh, they're using them here. <laughs> using it here for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. So that, that was, I would say the, the Mobius tech was number one. Off-worlders, meaning people who are not Terran, would be number two. And three would be it, uh, where we would be given directives and mandates directly by the super board. Meaning, one uh, of the missions I talked about with Paul Serene where I took his clone out, right? Yeah. That was an actual triumvirate, act, a direct action mission that we were told we had to do. There was, there was no way of getting around that. We were basically told we have to do this. And that is that and have fun. And so, well, go ahead. So basically, that, that's the three main groups of the missions you typically find Kruger people in, right? Okay. Yeah. And usually they're contracted, they're paid and contracted to go do that particular mission. So. So let's get in. I mean, it is, this is, could, could go on forever. There's a million directions we could go. But uh, you mentioned uh, Paul Serene and Kevin Spacey. So how many, I, so from what I understand, Kevin Spacey, is a clone of Paul Serene, basically. But Kevin Spacey doesn't actually know that there's another version of him in the programs. Paul Serene is using a clone body of Kevin Spacey, yes. Okay. And then this is the case with other actors and politicians or not? Like, uh, I, I've, I've heard you say Tom Cruise before, I think. So um, when you look at, when you look at, yeah, if you look at uh, Monarch, which is the company that Paul Serene owns and operates, he uses, he actually provides a security service to Hollywood elite people who have the money to pay for a clone. And what he does is he gives them the ability to uh, give them that, what he calls ultimate blanket security, meaning if they kill the clone, you're still alive. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. And we'll even provide psychological services to help you when you come back, sort of thing. That's the way he markets this to uh, the Hollywood, the political people, your, your CFR Bilderberger people all those guys. And what ends up happening is, is that when he gets that genetic sample, they have the ability to use that clone elsewhere now. I've heard that. I don't even know where I heard this from anymore, but I've heard that like Tom Cruise in particular, like they, they use his clone in movies. That's why he does all of his own stunts. And that's why it's okay. He doesn't need a stunt double because it's his clone. He, he, um, I would disagree with that because I know he broke his ankle filming one of the, Mission Impossible movies. Okay, he talked. He talked about it, but the clone being used actually is is a guy who actually runs the Umbrella Corp. 
And you guys may have heard of the uh, what's the the game where they have the uh, the, the zombies that are created by the virus. The Resident whole... Resident Evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's Umbrella. Mm-hmm. Again, hard disclosure showing what Umbrella does as a biological weapons manufacturer. So they take off-world tech, they turn it into bioweapons, and they sell it to the other programs. In terms of like you know what 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 they're doing, how they're doing it. Um. So yeah. Uh, anyhow, the that umbrella tech, the umbrella tech basically falls into the NBC category, right? Now, typically they don't do nuclear, but they definitely do chemical biological tech all the time. Uh, and I was trying to think what the guy's name is. It's in that group. Um, let's see if we find it here real quick. It is. Yeah, mm-hmm. the guy. The guy who runs his name is Richard Bay. He's the guy running Umbrella Corp. And he's not a nice gentleman. So basically on, this, on, on that page we were looking at that had the worldwide military um, corporations. I'll bring this back up again here real quick. Yeah. You guys can see this. Um, basically, you see this little statement where it says four corporations with positive influence on humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you scroll down, it says corporations with a negative influence on humanity. And look, and look who the top one listed here is. It's, it's Monarch. Monarch, Mobius, and Delphi. Umbrella is also listed here too. Murkoff, Short Shaw House. There's quite a few of them in here. But the idea is, is that as these corporations start doing more and more operations against the will of the people here on the planet, that shoves them more into that negative category. That makes sense to people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember you saying one time there's a photograph on the internet somewhere of Paul. I mean, Paul. I mean, Kevin Spacey and uh, with somebody else. Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine, however you say her name. Um, but it's actually not Kevin Spacey. That's actually Paul Serene in that photo. Yes. Do you have, are you able to pull that up? I haven't been able to find it. They took it off the internet. Um, oh, makes sense. No, of course. <laughs> they, they, they scrubbed a bunch of crap off the internet here within the last four months. Basically, the easiest way to tell when you look at a picture of Kevin Spacey to figure out if it's him or Paul is when you watch the body language, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin's a great actor, don't get me wrong. But the idea is, is that when you watch the body language involved with how Paul operates, he understands that there's if, if, if something happens and he's out in public, Kevin's the one taking the hit, not him. So he could potentially be the one who's responsible for all the pedophilia allegations. Yeah, he, he, he actually is. I will say, I'll say that on the record. Yes, he is. So it's not technically, it's not Kevin Spacey. No. I wonder how many other people that's the case for. Well, and I'll, I'll show another good example, right? So you look at Shaw House, for example, that Peter talks about all the time. Jeanette Shaw uses a clone of Taylor Swift. And guess what? Their office is in London. And who is she currently dating? She's dating a very well-known British actor who lives where? In London. Mm. Mm. So you have to start asking some questions. Who are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with Taylor or are we dealing with the clone? It's Jeanette yeah. Shaw. Yeah. That's it's so fascinating about so much information about this clone program coming out, coming forward. I think that's going to be. So there are three reasons why the three companies, three big companies who use clones and, and practice and study with clones. First is Kruger. Second is Monarch because of their, the, the security solution they're providing to Hollywood, the elites, uh, these big uh, elite groups, right? 
Yeah. The third one is a company that Peter's talked about, USS Arc Corp. And what they're doing essentially, um, Peter and I have chatted about this company, Arc, in that title stands for Antediluvian Recovery Center. And what that means is, is they're going through looking at all these people's genetics on Earth. They're trying to recover what they call the Adam genes, the Adamo genes. If you would look back at Ze Zechariah Sitchin or the Adaharsa story, um, the, the Epic of Gilgamesh, that idea of Adamo, meaning the first man, meaning the first us, mm -hmm. that particular being had a lifespan in current years of 720 years, which was a reason for that astrologically, which I could go into, but I don't have enough time to do that. But the idea is, is that uh, they're trying to find the genetics that allows us to go from a 72-year lifespan back to that original genetics of 720. Mm -hmm. The Lyrans are doing this, by the way, because they consider us to be their genetic cousins. So just so we're clear. So, wow, this is, <laughs> this is deep stuff. So the cloning, I, I just think the clone program is going to be a major part of disclosure that I think most of the public is going to have the hardest time with. Um, knowing that some of their politicians and actors have been clones the entire time. There's two things I'm going to say directly about the whole clone aspect that I have a big issue with. And I've said this, I've, you guys have probably heard my videos where I've talked to this guy who's a, at, he's a um, policy guy for Biden, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. When I, when I sent my letters to him, the clone aspect of this was the hardest for me to write because I had a lot of heartfelt issues around it. You know, how are people going to feel when they find out there's a copy of them up there being used for, you know, sexual slavery, torture, uh, they're being partially eaten, regenerated, all kinds of stupid shit. And then you've got the other aspect of this is what happens if we bring them back and this person commits a crime and it looks like you did it. Yeah. I, I mean, it, genetically, yeah. genetically, they're an exact copy of you. Sure. Yeah. I a huge problem. I'll, I'll just I'll just say this. I have no way of verifying it, but I've had somebody make me aware, and I don't. I, I'm not going to disclose who, but they they said that there's a clone of me alive right now in S4 Area 51, basically um, living at the same time, basically. And it was, and I was cloned at age five, and this whole thing. I'm like, I don't I, I don't know if that's true. I have no way of knowing that, but they do hearing, that sometimes. Hearing what these hearing these testimonies, it's just like. Uh, well, it's, it seems possible. I, I, I have no yes. idea. So the other side of this too, right, is the fact when you get into programs like Kruger, you realize also the security necessity of having clones, right? Because you realize if you don't have an asset in the clone body and you lose that clone asset either through capture or killing, all of a sudden you've now lost, you know, what? 21 years of training plus the cost of the clone plus the cost of the individual and the training. And for a clone, it's an easy payout. You pay $1.7 million and you have a new clone sitting there and you've got the asset information still contained in the frozen cryo asset. To me, yeah. that's a no brainer. That's, that's like a no brainer to me. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's yeah, that is going to be tough. Like you said, that's going to, when people discover that about themselves, that that's not easy. That's no. not easy. That's why that's why when people say like full disclosure now, I On don't top of just the trafficking and child trafficking pedophilia. Yeah. So that's another aspect of this, right? So when we talk about this idea of healing, where Ted and I and some others have talked about this idea of working through our internal work and doing the healing, right? Yeah. Working with a therapist, working with 
you know, specialists working with, you know, spiritual specialists to do this kind of work. What we're really saying is that the um, part of what's going on is that you also have to process all that stuff that happened to you as a child, right? So think about this, right? I mean, again, I don't want to, I don't want to get you guys knocked off of your channel, but there, there are particular topics that show up around the child end of this that don't show up anywhere else in the programs, right? You have all the child sex trafficking. You've got clones being made of these kids. And the thing is, is, oh, by the way, a lot of these kids, I have a friend of mine, I've, I've told this story before. He's a SEAL team commander. Um, he actually was in Michigan. They did a, a retrieval up there. It was 123 kids and made the news, made ABC news. And when they, when they got there, he's actually out on the boat first off training with the Coast Guard in, in Lake Erie. Jay Sock calls him on the, on the sat phone and says, you're going to be taken off the boat and you're going to Michigan. Okay. Hmm. They get, they come back to shore. CH-53D picks them up, takes them to this place in Michigan. When they land, there's already FBI at both ends of this underground bunker. It's a warehouse. Now, here's the thing, right? When you're looking at a building and it has case steel fire, fire and blast-proof doors, that takes money. Yeah. I don't care who you are. But these guys get there. And the FBI can't get it. They've been hitting it with bullets. They've been trying to, you know, take it off the hinges, whatever. The door won't budge. And they, they asked the SEAL commander, said, can you guys make those doors go away? And he, looked, he, asked, he asked one of his guys, who's an EOD guy, he says, can we do that? And the guy's like, yep, we, can, we got that in the bag. And all of a sudden, the doors get blown off the hinges. And when they go in, they, they took those eight guys inside this front office area. Six of those eight guys died. Two were restrained. They were trying to keep them from getting to this back door that actually went into the main warehouse area. Inside that main warehouse area, they had suspended cages with 123 kids in it. Each kid's in a singular cage. Wow. And these kids have been tortured. They have been, you know, all kinds of bad stuff. But the big thing that hit there was a certain chemical they've been extracting out of these kids. And they were storing it in these large 55-gallon drums they were shipping elsewhere. Adrenochrome? Yes. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, right? So a kid typically produces six to eight uh, ounces of adrenochrome over the course of their life, right? Think about this. And they've got 55-gallon drums of it. Gosh, Jesus. I mean, yeah, and that's one tiny facility that they were able to break into. There's yes. thousands probably. I mean, and that's just so, on Earth. When I, was talk- when I was talking to this guy via phone call, his comment to me was, he's like, he's like, well, he goes, I've seen all kinds of crap, you know, that I've seen in combat, I've seen in battle, I've seen all kinds of stuff. And he goes, I still can't get that vision out of my head. He goes, I was trying to get these kids out of this cage. And these kids, that's why they lived their entire life was inside this cage. They've never been outside that cage. Most of them are clones. They're not even on the record. None of them had any sort of SSNs. None of them had... Uh, any sort of documentation or names, they're all tracked by a number. And the system they track these people in is the same system they use off-plant called TAPSIS, which essentially is a, it's a slave uh, slave tracking system, essentially, uh, asset tracking system. And these kids have been put in the system. They were being tracked. They are being used. And they were, it was completely off the books. No one knew who these people were, who these kids were. These kids were not really, quote-unquote, missing. 
which means either another slave was bred to make these children or they were cloned. Wow. But the idea is, is this is the negative aspect of cloning too, right? So when you have people using technology in ways that was never designed or meant to be used, this is what happens. I've also heard you say that reptilians clone humans as meals, basically, or something along those lines. Like they just, yes. they, they clone people just because they eat us basically alive. So we are considered a delicacy by the Draco. And one of the things we have to kind of understand is that part of what happens is some of these slaves will get partially eaten and then regenerated. And here's the thing, right? You're never, that, that memory is never wiped out of your head. Yeah. So this person, this person's continually going through this process of regeneration and being eaten. That's there's that's so horrible. the the level of technology involved here is humanity is just not they will not be able to wrap their head around it. Not, no. it's I mean, people like us because we've been listening to you, we have like we understand that it's out there, but we have no way. We don't know how it works, and we've never seen it actually in action we just hear about it so even even i think we would be shocked at some level with seeing it uh that's that's where i think people are going to have the hardest time is just not even that this stuff is happening but the technology that they're u- using to accomplish all this stuff is well it's been running for a long time the program's been running for a very long time yeah if we speak in just current modern day here and now terms, we, we can definitely track it back at least to the 20s and 30s, of 1920s, 1930s. Yeah. So when people tell me that there's no way we could have this level of technology, it's like, well, this program's already been technically in place in the here and now for at least 100 years. And think about, think about um, if you look at, uh, was it Miller's Law or Smith's Law that talks about the, the technology doubling every so many years? Yeah. Mm. Or, the, or the technological level of advancement do, doubling every so many years. Well, think about the think about these SSP programs that have been doubling since 1920, 1930. Yeah. They've been doubling too. Yeah. And they've been doubling already starting off advanced. Yeah. Yeah. Because ETs basically seeded that technology, seeded the information here. Yeah. In, in the German case, we had Lirens and Draco seeding this information to them. We also had the, the Vril seeing technology to them, right? Yeah. The Japanese had Lirans seeing information to them as well. And then all of a sudden, this technology just kind of poofs out of nowhere. Well, not really out of nowhere, but it's from these, these ET species, right? So, and the thing is, we've been using clones down here too, right? So look at, look at as, a, as another weird example of cloning, look at Japan and Korea, right? Who've both been at the very, very front edge, the razor's edge of what is considered to be human and animal cloning today, right? Mm-hmm. They've been doing this for a long time. Where do you think they got the technology from? Well, from up there. They gave the Japanese that technology and the Japanese outsourced it to, to South Korea. And they're now both the leading leaders in that area of technology. It's not, not, it's not, not a, it's a no brainer to those of us been in the programs. How many soldiers do you think in World War One and Two were clones? Um, I've heard that almost the whole army was a clone army from certain sources. I don't know if that's verifiable or not. They, they do not use augments or clones down here, first off and foremost. Okay. But they do use augments and clones up there in certain organizations. Uh, Nakwafen does, they don't like augments. What I mean by an augment, by the way, 
is the idea that you have a being who's a clone who's been genetically changed to have a certain genetic disposition up there. They will, in fact, edit humans in their one point of bodies to make them compatible for up there in Nakwath and Rajir. Uh, and many of us have been. MDF, you're already technically edited, technically, because you've already went through Inkeltra and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. So they do use, in Kruger, they do use cyborgs. They do use, um, and cyborgs usually is in a clone body as well, by the way, just so we're clear. Um, but they use a lot of cloning there, a lot of heavy cloning, because to them, it's easier to take a clone, manipulate the way you want, and transfer the essence in, because the essence and the clone come from the same DNA source, right? Now, all of a sudden, you have a link. It's kind of like Avatar, right? When you watch the movie Avatar, mm-hmm. where the brother who was also the twin of the guy who died could also take over that same Avatar body because of the genetic linkage, right? Okay. It's the same thing in Kruger, where you have a genetic linkage between you and that clone. And there's also a linkage between your biochip and that, that, and that clone body as well. And Peter's talked about this quite a bit with James and others. But the idea is that biochip is also a link to that same clone as well. So what? Yeah, just common everyday knowledge. Uh, yeah. um, so, what are the potentials of Hitler being cloned? Um, what happened with him? Do you have you heard any of that? Well, okay. So, there's three main stories I've heard. All right. So, if you follow the standard historical narrative, he died in Berlin, which I don't believe, by the way. But sure. that's that's the mainstream historical narrative. Mm-hmm. The story that I do believe based on all the research, based on everything that I've seen, was the story that Brett, uh, not Brett Bear, but um, Bob Bear did in his TV series, Hunting Hitler. Mm-hmm. That to me was the most, the closest to the facts based on everything they were able to uncover. And he died in South America in 65. Yeah, he basically went to Argentina. Well, he actually died up north of Argentina. But oh. yes, it was actually a small, small city that was there, a small group of people, uh, Martin Bormann, Hitler, and a few others all escaped up to this little area, and they started raising families, having their own life there. They had a ton of capital to work from. They bought their own houses, started businesses. But the idea is, is that they didn't think that was abnormal. And by the way, these individuals that went to South, South America were people that were chosen or not deemed essential for the space, secret space programs. Because what happened, basically what happened was all the people that went to base 211 in Antarctica, New Schwabenland, mm-hmm. those individuals were trying to make a legitimate break from the uh, Nazi Third Reich. We actually call those guys Antarctic Germans or AGs. AGs, yeah. Now, that particular group was very afraid politically with the UN and the U.S. military specifically, like what happened with Operation High Jump. To try to come down and actually try to wipe them out. So by the end of World War II, they were already off planet and up at the LOC. They moved all their assets, all their people, anything of importance to the programs up there. They did keep some people down at base 211 because of what we saw with Operation High Jump. But I personally feel that was a security contingent because we're still Draco in the base when they left because that base at New Schwabland actually rented from the Draco. Yeah, so the Draco base was already there before they even moved in, basically. They kind of yeah. just, I mean, they were working with the Draco the entire time. Yeah, anyway. the Larens. In the Larens and the Vril, yes. 
Yeah. So you do you, you talked about your two theories on Hitler. Was there a third one? The third the third theory that I heard, and again I have no way to confirm this, but I've heard it from multiple people, so that there may be some truth to this, was that Hitler was in fact cloned, essence copied and transferred, and he was taken off planet at one point. The original biological body died in 65. This copy was taken off planet, and um, I've heard that it was either in Ceres or Mars where they saw a copy of that clone. And both, by the way, both of those locations both had German, what we call Mars German influences, the MGs. Yeah. Um, they both had groups up there who uh, were, in fact, um, actually, you know, Mars Germans. That is plausible that they could have taken him up there as you know, some way to maintain this, this idea of what happened on earth. Now the narrative is when they start taking these slaves off planet, they knew they had to have a way to keep them from rebelling. So they made up the story of a third world war, the earth in 1949, getting cobalt bombed and there's no way for them to go back. Ah, okay. I've, yeah. I've heard that. I think I've heard you say that before. Yeah. And, and James and I've talked about it. Uh, Peter's talked about it. I've heard that from multiple people. Even Tony yeah. Rod, Tony Rodriguez, who we just had on, uh, he saw yeah. he talked about it also. Yeah. Well, and this, that's the story I heard actually at series. That's what first place I ever heard it was at series. Yeah. Uh, Tony and I talked about it when we did my my talk on his channel, where uh, my security group was brought in. We cleaned up a mess that the uh, the fear of the base wanted us to clean up. The command of the base. And yeah. we're basically waiting to be debriefed and we were told to go have you know a lunch or dinner or whatever. Our guys were sitting in one area and there's some slaves operating on, on series sitting right next to us at a table. And they're all talking about this narrative about how earth was wiped out in 49 by these big cobalt bombs. Uh, and the equivalent type bomb they're talking about is if you look at what the Russians did with the czar bomb, the, the RDS-220, that's equivalently the size of the bomb they're talking about here. Fucking like a massive bomb. Really? Right? And I heard that narrative there, but it, I was like, what are these guys talking about? Earth's still fine. I didn't say this, but I could, I'm definitely thinking it, right? Yeah. And that's the thing with the programs, by the way. A lot of times when you're, when you're in doing your job, you think a lot of stuff, but you never say it out loud. Um, not the point, though. The point is, is that yeah. that is a common narrative that you do hear up in some of the German facilities off planet they talk about that particular narrative yeah well that's that and so there seems to be a large german presence in the solar system i mean how many breakaway civilizations or off-world colonies do you think they have besides mars and Ceres? well there's been three three potential breakaway civilizations right the mayans potentially the templars and the germans for different, re for different reasons. Okay. We know for a fact the Mayans definitely did because they were actually picked up by the Palladians and taken to Tijeta, where they were, in fact, they were allowed to settle there. Mm -hmm. now, I've heard they, that too. Yeah. Well, actually, CG talks about it in one of his, in one of his episodes on Cosmic Disclosure, and I've heard other people talk about I it. Remember, That's I why I heard that. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, I actually have met that group of individuals. That's why I'm saying that. There was some, some speculation that's happened with the Templars, although I have no proof of that. And the third group was obviously the Germans who were influenced to start moving that way. And they did. They were able to make technology. See, the first two groups would have been taken off planet. 
This third group, they wanted them to actually leave the planet on their own, under their own technology and their own guidance. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. We had the Germans moving to, to the moon and eventually to Mars. And they move into the belt, which is where Ceres comes into play. And they started establishing other facilities on Jupiter, Saturn, and other places in the system, even all the way out to the Oort cloud, like Maki Maki and other locations. Now, is Maki Maki, is that, is, there's a station just past the Oort cloud, I've heard. It's like a very high-ranking station. Is that Maki Maki? Or yes. Is that, okay. And that's and that, like between here and Alpha Centauri? Well, it's actually just on, just on the very verge of the outside of the Oort cloud. And it is used as a security observation post. Um, that is actually a pretty highly classified location because what they're doing is any fleet that would try to come into our system, nine times out of 10, gravitationally speaking, they're going to come in along the ecliptic plane of the system. Meaning if you look at the, at the sun, all these planets are moving around. Oh, hang on a second. Pattern. Or we oh. just, we, you froze up for a second, but you're good. You say, if you look at the sun, what? If you're looking at the sun, you would try to come in, at, the ships would try to come in inside the gravitational ecliptic of that system because they can slingshot around plants and save fuel. That's typically what uh, uh, invading species would do. That's what we did. So what you would typically see happen is, is that as that, that, that sort of ship or group of ships comes in, the armada would come in, they're going to come along the ecliptic, and Maki Maki observes that ecliptic plane because it's not in the ecliptic plane. And what it does is it would, tell, it would tell the LOC, hey, you've got a large group of inbound ships coming in. You need to do something about it. Interesting. So have you actually been to that station? Yes. It's also a refueling station too, but yes. Well, what do you use for fuel? Well, for example, like some of the smaller craft, they actually use uh, fusion cells. Okay. They might, they might even use nuclear reactive components in some of the older ships. Uh, you also do crew retrofits. So, for example, you might take a Mantis or, a, or a, a Dart from, say, Earth out to Maki Maki, drop people off. If they're not using a gate system, by the way, they could do it that way. And what would happen is you could transfer people, personnel, equipment, whatever you need. It's also a way to keep the, the Nakwafen fleet out of the solar system, right? Now, we already have gate systems set up at New Earth, or what we call Corellia. Uh, they can actually... You can walk straight in from that gate directly into the LOC. This is also the same gate system that's used from LAX to Mars and to the LOC as well. Yeah, I've heard about that one just outside of LAX. Um, yep. It's like a, a jump room, yeah. Well, that jump room you're talking about is the gate system itself, right? Okay. So that's the quickest way to get people and things between these locations. But at the same time, um, there, there are cases where you don't want to do that, especially if you're using what they call a security controlled asset, like a, like a cyborg yeah. that doesn't have all those mental components. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to use a gate system with a cyborg bad. What did the inside of the uh, station look like? Maki Maki. Are any of these stations or ships like organically based? Um, or no. this is okay. They start off TBM. They, they send a crew in that does the TBM portion first. Then they drill out the whole, like the guts of the, of the station first. And as that station is going, it's actually creating concrete or the wall segments out of the actual material that's TBMing. When the TBM is finally removed, they bring in these engineers who set up the environmental stuff first. 
I mean, it's like a pressurize the base, right? Okay. And that's the first thing that usually happens is once they get that, those engineers done, that's when they bring in all the other people to set up the electronics, to set up all the wiring, to set up all of the, if you're using the communications gear or any of that kind of stuff, at that point, that comes in after all the TBMing and the initial environmental stuff set up in place. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, it's your knowledge on this is so vast and I, I didn't even expect you to know the construction process. So this is not like a space station. Like we would imagine it's like a planetary body that they kind of take over. Yeah. Into base, yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and um, uh, wrap up this first segment. We haven't even barely touched on your testimony. We've been getting into so many other things. Sure. Um, so much to digest, so much to take in. Uh, thank you for doing this. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, don't forget, um, uh, we're going to be at Starseed Adventure Conference in March with Tony Rodriguez, actually. Uh, tickets are available. There's only 200 tickets available. I don't know how many have been sold, but if you feel compelled, grab a ticket, come hang out with us on the beach, uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida. Uh, the link is below, um, and it'll be great to meet some of you guys. Uh, Johan, thanks. We'll be back uh, shortly. and. Uh, until next time, guys, uh, have a good evening.